Hey, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Hope all of you are doing great this morning. Thanks so much for tuning in online this morning. I know uh, this is um, a little weird uh, for us to not have an in-person service. Um, and, you know, as Mel just said, uh, the reason for that is because uh, all of our leaders, um, our staff, our elders, and our community group leaders, not all of our leaders, but our community group leaders, we're all away at a retreat this weekend, and um, we're just spending some time uh, praying together. And what we're actually doing is spending time um, getting our community group leaders trained up for what our community group strategy will be starting next week. And so we're really excited about that. You'll be hearing more from Pastor Evan and your group leaders about it. But I think that's a really great reminder as well um, to jump into a community group if you're already not in one, um, because it's really how we do spiritual formation at Grace Hill Church. We believe that you cannot follow Jesus alone, that we have to do it with other people, and that's what our community groups are all about. So make sure you jump into a community group, be praying for our leaders um, as we're away this weekend. But we're going to continue uh, in our series on the book of 1 Thessalonians. Last week, we started a sermon series studying this book. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and we are on week two. So we started that last week, and we're just going to work verse by verse through the book, and we'll finish, finish chapter one uh, this morning together. But I wanted to start uh, with this question, something for us to think about as we read the text together this morning, and that's this, what are you waiting on? This could actually be a great journaling prompt for you right now. And, and hey, it's an online service. You could press pause literally right now, grab a journal or grab a piece of paper, the notes app on your phone, and you could spend some time thinking about this question. What are you waiting on? What are the things in your life that you are waiting to come to fruition in your life? The things that, that you believe that once this happens, or once I get this, or, or once this comes into place, my life is going to get much better. I'll actually be content, or I'll have some rest, or life is just going to be way more enjoyable, or that's when I'll actually reach the good life. I'm convinced that every single one of us have stuff we're waiting on. Me, I have stuff I'm waiting on. I think all of us have things that we're waiting to, to come to happen. Uh, I think it could be things like my career. Uh, you know, when my career kind of reaches a certain point or I get that promotion or I get the raise. Maybe it's financial freedom. You know, once I kind of my accounts get to that place where I don't really have to worry about finances anymore. It could be once I find a spouse. I mean, that's the point where, man, my life will just take a turn for the better. Or if I can have kids that's when um, my soul will be at rest. Or, or maybe it's, you know, when my spouse finally changes and comes around and our marriage will be much better and that's the thing I'm waiting on. Or when one of my kids will also come around and, and maybe start following the Lord or maybe they'll uh, come and reconcile with me or, or whatever, that's the moment 
that my soul will be at rest. There could be a number of things that we are waiting on. And we're convinced, fully convinced that once we get it, things will be better. I'm curious for you. Maybe this is a moment you could pause and just ask this question right now. What are the things that you are waiting on? I believe that we are all convinced that we have full conviction that whenever whatever it is that we are waiting on finally comes to fruition, that we will be able to rest and enjoy this life. And because we're convinced of this, we will give all of ourselves to whatever we need to do to bring that thing to fruition as we wait for it to come. We'll give all of ourselves. That will become the top priority in our life because it is the thing that we are waiting on. But here is the reality that that I actually think most of us will agree with this as well. The reality is that the things that we are always waiting on never fulfill their promise. Whenever we get the thing that we are waiting for, there's always something else to wait for. Whenever we get the thing that we're waiting for, life doesn't get fully satisfied in the way that we maybe thought it would when it came around. There's always something to wait for. To wait on things in this world is a restless endeavor. Like I said this morning, we're going to be jumping back into 1 Thessalonians. Hold on to your answer to that question that we just asked. I think it's going to be helpful to us as we begin to read the text together. We started a sermon series last week called Take Heart on 1 Thessalonians. And we spent some time last week really digging into the history and the context of this letter. And so I really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon if you missed it because it's going to provide a lot of context. But I'll give you a quick recap of the history and context of the letter of 1 Thessalonians. As I already told you, uh, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was in Thessalonica. So I'll pull up a map for you here real quick again just to remind you about how this church was planted. So the map that you see here, this is a map of the Mediterranean world during the first century. And this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey uh, that you can read about from Acts 16 to 18. And it was on this journey that Paul wrote, or I'm sorry, planted a bunch of churches in one of those churches was in Thessalonica. So if you look right here, this is Antioch right here. That's where Paul's home church was. Um, And so he was sent out of Antioch to go plant some churches. And so he travels all along this category. Sorry about that. So here's Antioch. He travels all along this area. This is modern day Turkey into Greece. This is the province of Macedonia of the Roman Empire. He stops at Philippi, plants a church there, and then he comes over to Thessalonica, and this is where he plants this church in Thessalonica. But we read in Acts 17 that that was a really difficult experience for him. The Thessalonians were really rowdy and rough with him, and he got driven out of town, and he goes to Berea, plants a church there, 
He gets driven out of Berea, so he goes down to Athens. He spends some time in Athens and has a pretty difficult time communicating with the population there, the gospel, so rough time in Athens. And then he finds his way to Corinth, where he plants a church in Corinth. Okay, and so all along this time, he has two guys with him, Timothy and Silas. And so what Paul does as he makes this trip down to Athens is he sends Timothy and Silas back up to Macedonia to check on the churches there to see how they're doing. Because Paul probably thought that, man, they may not be doing well, especially in Thessalonica. Those are some rowdy people there that probably uh, made it really impossible for the church that they planted to be able to sustain itself and to keep going. And so Timothy and Silas head back up there to check on them to see if that church even exists or not. After Timothy and Silas do that, they go and meet with Sorry about that. They go and meet with Paul back in Corinth and they provide a update to Paul about how all of those churches are doing in the region of Macedonia. And um, they give Paul a great report. I mean, they say, man, the church, especially in Thessalonica, it's thriving. It's going great. And so Paul is encouraged by this. He's thankful and probably a little surprised that the church is doing so well in Thessalonica. So what Paul decides to do is write a letter to encourage the believers there in Thessalonica, and that's this letter of First Thessalonians. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage the uh, Thessalonians in their faith um, to, uh, and to spur them on to continued faithfulness um, as they follow Jesus. And so this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians is, is really Paul just really reiterating all of the good report that he heard from Timothy and Silas. And that's what we'll read a part of today in our text. So our text today is 1 Thessalonians verse 5, the latter part of verse 5 through verse 10, which is the remainder of that chapter. And so let's go ahead. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 to 8. We'll start with verses 5 uh, to 8. And so here's what Paul says. Again, he's reiterating the things that he has heard from Timothy and Silas about the Thessalonians. It says this, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So he's saying the Thessalonians have really taken on the faith and the gospel that we preached to them when we were there. And he says, For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So what you see in these verses is that not only are the Thessalonians doing fantastic as a church, but they are having a regional impact 
in the Roman Empire amongst the provinces of Macedonia and Achaia. Look at this map one more time. All right, so that's the province of Macedonia. That's right here. Province of Achaia. That's right there. And so what we're seeing is that the faith of this little church in the midst of a huge city where there's massive persecution, the faith of this little church is reverberating out. The gospel is being testified to out amongst these two regions here in the Roman Empire. And so the question that we need to ask is this, what was it about the faith of the Thessalonians that reverberated out beyond the borders of their city? And I think the answer to that can be found in verses 9 and 10, the remainder of our passage this morning. Let's read that together. Verses 9 and 10, it says this. This is Paul saying, here's the report that I've heard. Here's why your faith is reverberating out. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us. So they themselves report. I'm guessing what he's talking about is the people of the regions of Macedonia and Achaia, the people in those various churches. They're giving this report to Timothy and Silas. Remember, Timothy and Silas traveled back up to those regions to be able to check on the churches. So what they are hearing from all these people, for they themselves report concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you and how you Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is how the faith of the Thessalonians is described and it's the reason given to why their faith is reverberating beyond their borders. This is what happens in someone when the gospel takes root inside their heart. If you remember verse 5, we talked about this last week. Paul is saying the reason why you are doing so well as a church is because the gospel came, not just in word, it wasn't through just a message that you heard, but it came in power, in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. And when the gospel takes root in someone's heart, when there's full conviction of the gospel, then what we read about in verses 9 and 10 come to fruition in someone's heart. So the gospel, right? It's, it's this reality that we were alienated from God. We have sinned against God. And therefore, the punishment that we deserve for that is death and separation from God for all of eternity. And the gospel message is the reality that God in his love and grace and mercy did something to redeem us from that. He sent his son Jesus to come live a righteous life, but take all of our sin to the cross. And what we read in verse 10 here specifically is that what Jesus did is he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. And he delivers us from the wrath to come. 
And so the gospel is the reality that Jesus makes it so that we are no longer under this penalty of death. Jesus himself defeats death through his resurrection and he delivers us, he rescues us from facing the judgment of God for our sin. And so Jesus secures for us freedom from death and freedom for our sin and eternal life in God's kingdom. And so this message, this reality was something that the Thessalonians became fully convinced of and therefore it did something in their life. Verse 9 tells us that what it did, the fact that the gospel implanted itself, is it caused them to turn from their idols to God, to serve God, and also to wait for Jesus to return. I want to break that down. I want us to understand exactly what that means because that's what the gospel does in our hearts when we become fully convinced of it. So look at this with me, verses 9 and 10. Look at this with me. Let's break down these words. Let's just understand exactly what the verse is saying and then we'll think about it more deeply as as it applies to us. But let me show you a few things. So verse 9 says, For they report this. They report about the fact how you turned to God. And so this word to turn here in the Greek literally means to change direction. Uh, This word also means to change your mind. And so I was fully convinced of one thing, but I turned from that. And now my mind, my heart is convinced of something completely different, completely opposite of the thing that I was convinced of before. This is a word often used for repentance. And so what we see is that the Thessalonians turned, and it says, to God from idols. Right here, this word idol. You have to understand that in this particular society, the people of the city of Thessalonica and most Roman and Greco-Roman cities at the time, they worshipped many false gods. They worshipped many idols. And those idols were often connected to political entities, economic interests, right? It was really a way for the powerful to abuse, manipulate the people of their city by causing them to worship these false gods, right? And and promising to them certain kinds of blessing and benefit if they were to worship these false gods, But really, it was a guise, it was a a way to manipulate people into doing things that the rich and the powerful wanted people to do. So a lot of these idols would be connected to political rulers like Caesar, or they would be connected to economic realities. All right, and so that was kind of the religious context of the city. And what we're seeing in verse 9 is that the Thessalonians turned completely away from that kind of idolatry. And it says that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. But this word serve here literally means to enslave. 
to enslave oneself. So what I want you to understand is this word serve, it, it has a very full, complete meaning to it. This reality that I've turned, but I've given now all of myself to this God, the living and true God. He gets all of me. He gets my mind. He gets my heart. He gets my money. He gets my job. He gets my uh, vocation. He gets all of how I spend my time. Like He gets all of me. I've kind of enslaved myself to this God. So this is very strong language. And it says, to the living and true God. And the reason why the scripture says the living and true God is because in the scriptures, you see this all over the Psalms and the prophets, they're always comparing the living and true God to dead, false, worthless idols. Go read the Psalms and you'll read about how the fact that those idols, those are just hunks of metal, hunks of wood, and we worship the living and true God who's powerful, who created everything around us and also has the ability to act on our behalf. And so what we see here in verse 9 is this reality that the Thessalonians, they turned from the idols of the city that everybody else was following and the powers that be wanted people to follow. And they gave all of themselves to serving this living and true God. And so the reason why that their faith may have reverberated and caused a stir in the city and caused the kind of violent reaction and affliction that Paul faced, if you go read Acts chapter 17, is because the church was turning away from the way that most of the people in the city operated especially from a political and an economic perspective. That probably caused tension in the city, an upheaval in the city. But here's the thing. The reason why their faith reverberated, it wasn't just because they did that. It wasn't just because they started to live differently, act differently, behave differently than the rest of the city but it's because they actually had this hope deep down inside of them that Jesus was going to return, that Jesus had rescued them from their sin, that Jesus had rescued them from death, that they had eternal life in God's kingdom, and that one day Jesus would come back and he would bring them into their kingdom. They had this settled hope inside of them, and that's what we see here in verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, not only did they turn to God, from idols to serve the living and true God, but what else do they do? Wait for his son from heaven. There was something about them that was waiting, but this word for wait here in the scriptures is, it's an interesting word. This is the only place in all of the New Testament that this specific Greek word is used um, and so it has a very specific meaning. One commentator defines this word, puts this definition to it, to look forward to with patience and confidence. Right? So there's one kind of waiting that is very restless. One kind of waiting that's very impatient. But that's not the kind of waiting that's listed here. It's a very specific kind. It's a waiting with joy, a waiting with Assured anticipation, waiting with patience and confidence. 
And so there is something about how the Thessalonians turned fully to God and abandoned their idols and how they confidently and passionately waited for Jesus to return. And when we think about the question that we started with this morning, the question of, hey, what are you waiting for in your life? You could say that all of those things that we're waiting on, even the good things that we are waiting on and we desire in our life, can serve as a sort of idol in our life. They can serve as this thing that we are waiting on. We, we believe that once we get this thing, that our souls will be at rest. And therefore, it's worth giving all of ourselves to acquiring this very thing. It can serve as a, as a sort of idol. We're all waiting on something. But here's the thing I want us to see, is that the process of waiting on idols to deliver to our souls what they long for, that is a very restless unending, unsatisfying process. But the process of waiting on God is a restful process. Why? Because the idols that we are waiting on are never going to give our souls what they long for. They're never going to deliver on their promises. They are dead and they are false. But God is living and true. He has already secured for us our rescue from God's judgment, our rescue from death. God has already delivered on the promises that he has for us. And so when we allow the gospel to take root in our hearts, it enables us to embody a kind of waiting that actually brings contentment to our hearts, rest to our hearts, not restlessness. It enables our hearts to exist in this world amongst our neighbors in a much more content way, gentle way. It makes us kinder. It makes us more present. It makes us less anxious about the things that may or may not come to fruition in our life because we have a settled, patient, confident waiting that we are doing because of the gospel and what it has done inside of our hearts. And so that kind of waiting, that kind of life lived, where we've turned from our idols, we're giving all of ourselves to the living and true God, and we're confidently waiting on His return, that kind of life will make you unique in this world. Because you will have something that every human being, whether they know it or not, longs to have. And so just like the faith of the Thessalonians reverberated out, if the Church of Jesus Christ here in America, if Church of Jesus Christ here in Herndon would be comprised of people who've turned from their idols to serve the living God and are confidently waiting on His return, and therefore it creates, uh, gives us a, a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world, then our faith is going to reverberate as well. And so First Peter gives us this, 
this charge in light of that. He says in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, Therefore, you need to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Our faith will reverberate and we'll need to testify with words to the hope that is within us. And so the question is how? How do we turn from our idols and wait with confidence in the Lord in a restful way like the Thessalonians did? Well, the only thing that I can tell you is that you need a daily diet of feasting on God's grace to you, a daily diet of identifying the idols that you're tempted to wait for and to serve, and asking God to change your heart and to turn your heart from those idols to serve Him and Him alone. Jeremiah 3.22, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I want you to see this. It says this, Return, O faithless sons and daughters. I will heal your faithlessness. Here's what I love about this verse in particular. It uses three Hebrew words in three different ways. Sorry, it uses one Hebrew word in three different ways. It's the Hebrew word of shuv, right? It's the Hebrew word of shuv. This is the word to turn. And so what we see here is the word is used here in a verbal imperative, right? Return, turn back to me, God says. And then it's used right here, same word, right? This is as an adjective right here. Return, O faithless sons, or to translate it in a more uh, specific, literal way, return to me. O sons and daughters who have turned away from me. And then he says, I will heal your faithlessness. Now we see it as a noun. Same word. I will heal the fact that you keep turning from me. God says, turn back to me, those of you who keep turning away from me, and I will heal the fact that you keep turning away from me. We turn daily to our idols. And so we need a daily diet of identifying when we've turned to our idols. Confess that to God and then say, God, please heal my heart from its desire. Heal my heart from its belief that those idols will deliver to me the things that only that which you can deliver to me. We need to daily go to God and we need to confess those idols and ask God to heal our heart and to help us turn back to Him and serve Him, the living and true God. We need a daily diet of resting in the gospel. And resting in the gospel means to go to God with confidence, knowing that he has forgiven us of the fact that we keep turning from him and asking him by his grace to heal us from turning to these idols. Listen, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow spiritually, here's, here's what you do. 
You do this every day with another person. Find someone else in your life, right? And, and just say, listen, every day, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to privately, right, uh, uh, individually sit down. We're going to journal out. We're going to confess to God our idols, right? Not because we're fearful that God will punish us. No, we're resting in the gospel of God's grace, that he's rescued us from these things. And so we're going to confess these things to him because we know that these things will only create restlessness in our hearts. And God wants rest for us. And then we're going to go to God and we're going to ask him to heal our hearts from this. But then we're going to talk, we're going to chat, and we're going to share with each other the things that we've confessed. And we're going to share with each other the ways in which we've asked God to heal our hearts. And we're going to encourage each other in the grace of the gospel. And we're going to pray for each other that God would do this work inside of us. If you find someone else, another brother or sister in Christ, and you do that, you give yourself the daily diet of the gospel, you pray Jeremiah 3.22 to God, you confess the areas where your heart's tempted to turn to idols, God will do an incredible work of spiritual growth in you. And your faith will reverberate. Your faith will reverberate in your house, your faith will reverberate in your workplace. Your faith will reverberate in Grace Hill Church and in Herndon and surrounding regions. Because this is a unique way to live. To live in a way where we feast daily on the gospel and lean into God's promise that he will heal our hearts from its faithlessness. God will do something amazing in your heart. So I challenge you. Who are you going to do this with? It's not something you can do alone. Like we said in the beginning, God has not designed us and he has not designed the way that we practice our faith to be done alone. It, there's just no option for that in scripture. We do it with others. So who's it going to be? Who are you going to link up with? And who are you, how are you guys going to encourage each other to wait with patience and confidence on the Lord. I'm excited to see what God will do and how he will cause our faith to reverberate throughout our families, throughout our church, and throughout our town. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We're just so thankful for this letter to the Thessalonians. We're thankful for the faithfulness of that church. And Lord, even the the faith of that church is reverberating thousands of years later to us. God, I pray you would have the same result and you would do the same work within Grace Hill. That you would heal our hearts from our desires to turn to the idols of this world. And that God, our faith would reverberate, not for our glory, but for yours. And Lord, help us to be a people who are ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. We love you, God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace Hill, thanks so much for gathering with us online this morning. We will be back at Herndon Middle School next week uh, at 10 a.m., so join us there. But we hope that you have a great week. We love you, and we'll see you next Sunday.